politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen, vigilantly waiting to fight for our life, our liberty, and our property. Here at CR Podcast, this is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today, Tuesday, August 2nd, and there is a lot to cover. Oh my gosh, I mean, everything from Ukraine to Taiwan to the number two, well now number one, Al-Qaeda guy being killed. But of course, there's the 800-pound gorilla in the room that Americans are being killed in record numbers. Human beings are being killed in record numbers across the world from the Pfizer poison, the Moderna poison. And where is everyone? You know, in a past life, I would still be drunk with glee from uh, the Al-Qaeda leader being killed. And look, that's still a great thing to celebrate with the destruction of the wicked. There is glee and song, and it's something we should all be happy about. But as I've said before, if you try to conjure up the worst sort of outcomes we could have ever had from Al-Qaeda, the worst thing they could have done to us, the worst form of bioterrorism, it would never have measured up to what we are actually going through today at the hands of our own government. That's what's so crazy. And yet you look at Republicans, maybe it's just because it's August and people are on vacation, but I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling that momentum like the troops are coming, the cavalry is coming. You know, we're we're headed towards November. We're going to change things. I'm not even feeling the false promise. If you go back to the 2010 Tea Party year, you at least felt a united movement addressing the issue of our time, even if ultimately they failed to do anything about it. Here, it's like this is not even happening. And meanwhile, you have the monkeypox stuff where they're going back to declaring emergencies. How is it that we have undergone the worst geopolitical event ever the last two and a half years? And there is no desire to even discuss, much less rectify, this problem of emergency powers and what it could do to a person. So coming up, we're going to have Congressman Thomas Massey on, who's been talking about the PREP Act, okay? That is the emergency powers, by the way, in the wake of 9-11 that was passed that allows them to absolve everyone and everything of liability, whatever they do to us. That's the key to a lack of transparency, to a lack of checks and balances on their behavior, that will ultimately distinguish us from a dictatorship and preserve our rights. This is the most important thing we could focus on. Congressman Massey is committed to that, so he's going to be on later today. But I just want to go through just some of the latest information we have. The Iceland Medicines Agency reports 11 serious vax adverse events in children and zero Icelandic Children hospitalized due to COVID. Think about that. Straight up violation of the Nuremberg Code. I mentioned before, but those of you who haven't heard it, there's a Dutch preprint that studied 340 municipalities. And they note, in other words, um, they looked at all the localities, plotted their vax rate compared to their mortality rates. We could not observe a mortality-reducing effect of the vaccination in Dutch municipalities after vaccination booster campaigns. We did find a four-sigma significant mortality-enhancing effect during the two periods of high unexplained excess mortality. Again, this posted in ResearchGate under COVID-19 vaccinations and all-cause mortality, a long-term differential analysis among municipalities. So what that means is they actually found a pretty strong correlation between more vaccines and more excess deaths. Meanwhile, 93% of all COVID deaths in the UK in April and May were among the vaccinated. (laughs) You've been lied to. Then... There's an Italian study out in the Italian Federation of Cardiology. Uh, Dr. Andy Boston posted this earlier this week. The annual incidence of myocarditis was significantly higher in the pre-COVID 
than COVID period. So it's 8.1 per 100,000 pre-COVID, 5.9 per 100,000 during the year of COVID. Driving the overall differences in the incidence of myocarditis was a significant decrease in cases of myocarditis among those aged 17 to 34. In particular, the incidence of myocarditis was significantly lower during COVID compared to pre-COVID. So in other words, this whole notion that they tried to muddy the waters that, well, you know, you have myocarditis from uh, COVID just like you have from the vaccine. So it's not, you know, so bad with the vaccine. It's a lie. It turns out that actually the rates of myocarditis during COVID pre-vaccine, meaning 2020, were um, lower than that pre-COVID. Now, why it would be lower, I don't know, but clearly it was not associated with it. Again, people ultimately die from COVID later on after the respiratory stage. It could shut down their heart, but the myocarditis in particular, this notion that it's associated with COVID, it really is a lie. So there you go, folks. There you go. CDC, they have this page, if you want to look it up, Understanding mRNA COVID-19 Vaccines. Okay, it's a page. It's updated. The last update was July 15th. But an archive page of it from January says, this is a direct quote, the mRNA and the spike protein don't last long in the body. Well, that that line is no longer up on the page because indeed it does last a long time in the body with devastating, devastating consequences. And then we have Igor Chudov has a piece out. California birth rate in June of 2022 is down 6.4% compared to June of 2021. And the last couple months is when it's been going down. So again, this trend is accelerating. More deaths, fewer births. Pretty big issue. The COVID shots have been blown out of the water. Paxlovid has been blown out of the water. Masks have been blown out of the water. Yet where is the effort by Republicans to harness the NDAA, to harness the budget bill, to shut this down? Where is their promise to even shut it down when they take back the House? Nowhere. Nowhere. Even Australia, by the way, this is from News 7. Even Australia is paying 75,000 people who are injured. I'm sure there are a lot more than even that. But they're at least trying to pay people. They're going to underpay people who are injured by the shots. We're not doing this in America. Take a listen to News 7 in, in Australia. The benefits far outweigh the risks, but as the vaccine rollout now ramps up through the booster phase, there are a rare few who suffer serious side effects. Now the federal government is offering compensation for anyone who becomes seriously ill after having their COVID shot. It's been a long road to recovery for Maddie John. It's a really uncomfortable and um, quite a frightening experience. He felt like he was having a heart attack two days after getting the Pfizer vaccine. I just got this sharp pain that I've never experienced before in the centre of my chest. Diagnosed with severe pericarditis, he was off work for 10 weeks. You constantly worry, I suppose, that anxiety around, I suppose, we're talking about your heart. Maddie's not alone. It's estimated 79,000 people have suffered adverse reactions to vaccines. Now the government's offering compensation. Claims under $20,000 will need evidence from your doctor. Claims over $20,000 assessed by a team of legal experts. The highest figure reserved for only the most serious of cases. I think it could cost the government a lot of money. Daniel Opare works at Shine Lawyers. He's looked closely at the government scheme. If you do suffer pericarditis, it, it can uh, result in you being out of pocket. Um, you know, you might have to see a cardiologist, you might need procedures. Um, so it is definitely appropriate that there is a vaccination scheme there to compensate those people. But like all schemes, there are limitations. To make a claim, you must spend at least one night in hospital. And that's a clause that makes Matty John ineligible. He was admitted to hospital twice but never stayed the night. It is a little bit frustrating um, and out of pocket a fair bit, but in saying that too, um, it is what it is and um, that's life. The scheme is now open. Nick Hose, 
7 News. Hear that. At least they're willing to reimburse people. There's no desire here on the part of Republicans to even demand that. This is so bizarre. And then this ties into the whole economic issues. Inflation, the recession, budget reconciliation, this Build Back Better bill they passed. Which I want to get into, but first our sponsor today, speaking of inflation, with all the global upheaval in our country, geopolitically, the controlled demolition, gold is always the best hedge against times like today. With inflation continuing to skyrocket, the dollar will eventually become worth less and less. Transition some of your nest egg into something of worth with gold and silver from Birch Gold. I recommend Birch Gold. Um, because they help you convert an IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered account, not in the stock market casino, but in gold and silver. Get started now by texting Daniel to 989898. There's a lot of different companies that do this, but Birch has thousands of satisfied customers with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. They've been around for a long time, and again, they focus on converting your retirement accounts so you don't just put it into the stock market like I've been doing and now it's really languishing there so uh, switch to gold by texting Daniel to 989898 Uh, with that will come a free info kit on gold there's no obligation just an info guide again text Daniel to 989898 so this build back better bill again we've noted when was the last time in history that you ever had a piece of legislation that was named after something that's being used globally by the World Economic Forum, by the Canadian leader, UK, European leaders, um, the New Zealand leader. They're all using that term. So it's funny. You you look at um, these Republicans. I saw today John Corden tweeted out, I avoided, avoided COVID for two years, but now I'm boosted. But I got it. I'm recovering. Um, so first of all, you sounded like a leftist. Like so, So are you praising the vaccine? Or are you making fun out of it? It sounded like he was praising it like like the left does and says, oh, I would have died without it, even though you know very few people are having Omicron in a way that, that causes them problems. And then he's like, but I'm still going to work from home fighting the, the tax increases from Schumer and Manchin. It's, again, it's bizarre that Republicans, they always undersell an issue and they always make an argument in the most oblique manner. It's not a tax and spend bill like in like your Democrats of yesteryear. That's the least of the problem. The only thing they know how to inveigh against are tax increases. It raises taxes. And don't get me wrong, I'm not for the tax increases. I'm just saying that's not what it is. It's a great reset fundamental transformation bill that will do to food to fuel and not just energy, but really agriculture and food too, what Obamacare did to healthcare and what COVID fascism did. To healthcare. And by the way, it spends another hundred billion on healthcare too, the healthcare cartel. But it basically gives like 350 billion into the green lean machine. And then it has a methane tax on oil and gas, raises the royalties and the leasing fees and all sorts of taxes for drilling. But the most important thing is what it does is it basically social engineers states to go and transition to electric cars, to wind and solar, even though we've spent like tens of billions on wind and solar for years and only accounts for 5% of the output. So if you like what happened with ERCOT, the Texas electric grid last year, because of T. Boone Pickens and these clowns, well, that's what's going to happen everywhere. This is about, it's not about spending money. It's not about raising taxes. It's about much more than that. You know, like, for example, the bill gives $80 billion to the IRS. $80 billion. Over, over like, five years. I'm telling you, that's not just to raise revenue. That's to have more Waco, Ruby Ridge type of situations. Okay, nothing good is going to come out of that. That's a way of uh, empowering the Gestapo to come after us. So it's a horrible bill. 
So Republicans don't even diagnose it properly, but they're like, we're going to fight it. Well, how are you going to fight it if you just gave away your leverage? Remember, last week, it's shocking that conservative media ignored this. They dumped $280 billion to Intel Chinese chip companies. They say they're American, but they're de facto Chinese. And all these swampy government agencies that are responsible for the Great Reset um, and, and the biggest share of money went to the National Science Foundation. Okay, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, how they're, they're saying, oh, they don't have enough money to go to the moon, which is bizarre because the National Science Foundation, in this bill that nobody ever heard of, they dropped as much money as it would take to go to the moon, really. Like, just out of nowhere. I mean, that's how much money they spent. 17 Republicans voted for it. In other words, all the Republicans are saying, oh, Build Back Better is terrible, this reconciliation bill. But, so that's the, I'm forgetting the exact number, it's something like a total of $450 billion and then like $700 billion, $730 billion in taxes. But this was $280 billion. So it's the mini Build Back Better bill. And um, 24 House Republicans voted for it, which is a tiny percentage. But 17 Senate Republicans voted for it, which is you know, about a third of the caucus, but including the leader. And that enabled them to to get this passed. That same day, Schumer forged the deal with Manchin on Build Back Better. So how are you going to block it now that they're going to do budget reconciliation? And assuming the parliamentarian goes along with it and says it meets the muster of budget reconciliation, which I think it does, they're going to pass this. There's only one point of leverage, and that is promising to go nuclear, that you will never work with the Democrats for the rest of the session. And that means we will not pass your budget CR unless in the budget you repeal that funding from the reconciliation bill. Again, reconciliation is an offshoot of the budget resolution. That's Don't mix that up with the continuing resolution, the actual funding bill of fiscal year 2023 which is going to come due at the end of September. Republicans could say we are going to hold that up because that is still subject to filibuster. A lot of people have been asking me this just to clarify. The budget process is still subject to a filibuster. It's this budget reconciliation bill that allows them to spin off one kind of policy designed to so-called reduce the deficit. And they're saying they're reducing it because they're spending another $450 billion, but they're, you know raising revenue, so to speak, by $730 billion, so it's going to reduce the deficit in, in their mind. And that's how they can get around this one time a year pursuant to the Senate rules without being subject to a filibuster. But Republicans could filibuster the NDAA and they could filibuster the budget bill, but they're not. And Democrats know that. Just like Democrats know that after they were responsible for an attempted assassination on Kavanaugh, Republicans turned around and worked with them on gun legislation, on red flag, and they still, I don't know if it's going to happen this week. This is the last week before August recess. I hope not, um, but are promising to give them, uh, you know, codifying gay marriage against the red states. So if you're Chuck Schumer, why wouldn't you forge ahead with it? They're, you're not going to feel any pain. It's not like they're going to withhold their support on the other bills, which do require you know, 10 Republicans to, co- to cooperate in order to pass something. So to discuss this and more, I want to bring on Congressman Massey. So Congressman Massey doesn't really need much of an introduction to you guys. Everyone knows him, 4th District of Kentucky. He is the Liberty Variant member of Congress, who we could always count on from day one. Day one was with us. Uh, Day one recognized the danger of COVID fascism, of giving the government unfettered authority, unlimited amount of sums of money that are just unfathomable, And then now all the Republicans are complaining about inflation, but never tracing it back to what they themselves did. All right, maybe some members are a little bit slower than Congressman Massey in waking up and recognizing uh, liberty, economics, uh, basic common sense. But here we are um, two and a half years into this, 
And it's still a small group of us really discussing this, almost as if it's some sort of abstract issue, not the defining issue of our time. So I want to discuss a little bit with the congressman about where we're headed into this election after the election, the most important pieces of legislation we need to push for to restore our freedom. Congressman Massey, thanks so much for joining us again today at Blaze Media. Thanks for having me on, Daniel. It'd be hard for me to tell where to start, frankly. There's been so many bad things done to the American population. A lot of it done with the acquiescence of Congress and some of it done by executive order uh, under Trump and some of it done by executive order under Joe Biden. And certainly there certainly doesn't seem to be any signs of it letting up the COVID tyranny, as you call it, except for in the courts. They are losing almost every case. So I call this, uh, for instance, the, the military vaccine mandate where the SECDEF said we're going to mandate this because it's FDA approved, but nobody's been given an FDA approved vaccine in the military. I, I call that a crime in progress, and it's hard to stop a crime in progress. You can litigate it after the fact, but that's what we have right now are multiple crimes in progress. So what concerns me is that you go back to the Tea Party era, you know, you were elected just after that, and at least there was a promise of redressing the problem at hand, okay, which was the out-of-control spending at the time, um, some of the Solyndra stuff, the green stuff, which Republicans have now bought into, which is bizarre, but now they're not even pretending to campaign on it. It's almost like the issue doesn't exist. And if you would have told me two and a half years ago that this would still be going on even after all of the information would show that every last thing they did under emergency powers harmed people, and, and now we're seeing just a devastating, uh, shocking degree of vaccine injury, and that they wouldn't redress it. I couldn't believe it. So – there's the emergency powers issue that needs to be addressed, but then there's also this PrEP Act. So I've been saying that the rallying cry should be to repeal the 1986 act that grants full immunity to vaccine companies no matter what, no matter how. Uh, you can't really sue them. Uh, we can't get discovery in the courts for it. I saw you tweeting a little bit about the PrEP Act um, and, and its importance in this. Could you describe a little bit about the PREP Act and what you think needs to be done. Yeah, and, and by the way, let me address what you said there before you rolled into the PREP Act. So much of what the politicians are campaigning on is driven by what the people think. They're driven, it's driven by polls. And I have polled this, and COVID tyranny, I hate to tell you, Daniel, isn't it the top five of voter no. concerns right now? Because they're not connecting the dots because the politicians have kept them in the dark. And so that's what wow. you and I, that's our job here today, I think, is to illuminate some of the things that they've been kept in the dark about. Obviously, spending $6 trillion and printing it all is, is what has caused this massive inflation. When you're pumping gas at the, you know, at the gas station, it, the reason it's so high, the primary reason starts back with that $2 trillion bill in March 27th of, of 2020. But there are other things that the people don't know about or haven't connected the dots on. And, and let's talk about the PREP Act. Okay. The 1986 bill that you alluded to applies to vaccines that have been approved for children. It was a blanket exemption from liability for vaccine manufacturers. But what people don't realize is right now we are living under medical martial law. And it's not because of that 86 bill. It's because a bill that passed, I think, in 2005, but was implemented by Trump's uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services. And it's basically martial law for medical malpractice. And what people need to know is that it's not that just the vaccines are exempt from any kind of liability. It's anybody giving you a vaccine right now is exempt from liability. They could break the needle off in you or stick it in your, you know, your eyeball or your ear. And unless you can prove they willfully did it, you have no recourse, but it's not just the vaccines and the vaccine provider. 
It's any test. It's any COVID test is covered under the PREP Act. You cannot, for instance, and this is a crazy example, but it's 100% true because this is one of my constituents. I know the attorney who's, repre- I personally know the attorney who's representing this lady. She went to a hospital. She got a COVID test. They stuck the swab so far up her nose that they punctured the membrane that protects your brain. And she had a cerebrospinal fluid leak into her throat from the swab that punctured that membrane. Okay. She hired an attorney. It it had to be corrected with surgery. Hired an attorney. And the judge threw the case out because of the PrEP Act. So so you're saying normally that would be a classic med mal case. Okay. It's malpractice like anything else. But that's all covered. Yeah, it would be open and shut case. Frankly, the hospital would probably offer her something for her pain and suffering and cover the medical bills. But that didn't happen. They walked away, said, sorry, PrEP Act. Uh, so it covers that. It And it covers the vaccines. It covers the tests. It covers the ventilators that they, if they stick them in you. It covers remdesivir. It covers anything that has an EUA, for instance, and any practitioner who is uh, administering this in the name of COVID. Let me give you another example. Same attorney. I've known this guy personally for many years. He had a client who came in. She brought her her kids to a pharmacy. I'm not going to name which one, but it's a national chain. Took her kids to a pharmacy to get the flu shot. And you know, well, the flu's raging back, you know, after the flu mysteriously disappeared. So she takes, she's not an anti-vaxxer, and I hate that term, but, and I've never had a flu <laughs> shot myself, and I'm not anti-vax per se, but I'm kind of getting there uh, with all the lies. Amen. She takes her kids to this national chain to get flu shots. This was before there was any kind of dosage recommendation for COVID vaccine for kids. It wasn't even EUA. They accidentally give her kids adult doses of the COVID shots. And she goes home and they call her up and tell her about their mistake once they find out. And uh, then she hires the same attorney and and this national chain pharmacy says prep act we're covered under the prep act now some of these are cases in progress et cetera, et cetera. but there, there are i would i would imagine there are thousands of these cases if i just stumbled onto two in my own district and a lot of people who can't even try to get remunerated for their pain and suffering and by the way daniel these are state laws yet the federal government the federal Secretary of Health, and by the way, this started under Trump and it's being perpetuated under Biden, did this by an edict, instituted the PREP Act, which gives them martial law-like powers to override every freaking state law in the country with regard to medical malpractice. Wow. So, and, and, and I think this is important that you just realize the form of fascism we're confronted with, that the government partners with the shots funds it, markets it, distributes it, mandates it in certain circumstances, and try to, to mandate in even broader circumstances, absolves them of all liability. And then you're saying even states that have laws, well, the PREP Act is just like a, a reset button, like boom, it chucks all of that. Now, could you tell us, how does this work, the invocation of that act in a declaration of an emergency? So is that an annual thing or for as much time as they want and they just keep renewing it? Mm, I don't know. All I know is that if it if it's run out of its term, they've renewed it. I don't know if it has an automatic expiration date or if the former Secretary of Health put it in for a time certain, but uh, it's ongoing. And my question is, when does it end? Obviously, Congress could intervene in an appropriations bill to end it just by putting yes. a rider on that says no, none of the money hereby appropriated for the Department of Health and Human Services shall be used to you know, promulgate 
the uh, PrEP Act. So we could end this. Our, our first actual opportunity is when we get the majority and, and the omnibus, whatever they pass, runs out. It should be one of the first things that's put in. By the way, I tried to end it a couple weeks ago. And by the way, I, the C-SPAN feed quit or something. I, for some reason, we, didn't, we don't have the tape of it. But in judiciary hearing, they were marking up a bill to, re, to remove the exemptions that gun manufacturers have from liability. And I offered, <laughs> I offered a PREP Act amendment. I said, all right, if you're, if you're going to do that, if all the arguments that you're making about gun manufacturers are true, then, and by the way, Biden says they're only industry that can't be sued. He's absolutely wrong. They can be sued for multiple things. For, you know, if it, if you have a gun that misfires and, right. and 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 doesn't operate properly, it's like anything else. It's just they want to get them on the hook for other people doing. You know, it's like Criminal. it's like yeah. I take a Toyota Corolla and I run someone over with it. So you sue Toyota. That's never done in any other industry. The industry that's exempt is is the pharmaceuticals and right. Pfizer. Right. It's yeah. unbelievable. So, so let me tell you the nature of the exemption. For, for the gun manufacturers, they are exempt if somebody commits a crime with their firearm, okay? It has to be criminal activity by somebody else in order for the gun manufacturer to be exempt. And as you point out, this is just the standard for every other industry. They just – Congress codified it because there's so many lawsuits that were starting to be brought, frivolous lawsuits. Okay, but in the PREP Act, they can – Literally, they can be woefully negligent as long as they're not willfully negligent. And you can't sue any pharmaceutical company, any device manufacturer, any hospital, any doctor, any nurse, any assistant who's uh, trained to give you a vaccine, any pharmacy. You can't sue anybody unless you can prove they tried to hurt you, that they did it on purpose. So these are two vastly different thresholds. So I offered as an amendment in Judiciary Committee, because the Democrats were saying, well, you need to be able to sue uh, you know, the makers and the manufacturers, otherwise the products never get better. <laughs> well, maybe, <that's laughs> the case. maybe that applies to vaccines. And then they, then they became you know, federalists all of a sudden. You know, well, you know, the federal government shouldn't be in this. Torts are the or the venue of state governments and courts. I'm like, all right, well, let's repeal the, by the way, all the Democrats had their talking points prepared for this gun bill and they, and they couldn't change them because they have no ability to think on the fly. Their staff had already <laughs> prepared all their talking points. So I offered my amendment before any of the, of the debate started in earnest on the bill. And they all sounded like they were supporting a repeal of the PrEP Act, and it went on for like 40 <laughs> minutes. They were making all of my arguments. Um, and then ultimately, I, I forced a recorded vote on it. It was darn near like midnight, I think. It was at least 10 p.m., 11 p.m. I forced a vote on it, and every Democrat voted against the amendment but for the final bill. So, uh, so they, what they did is they voted to make gun manufacturers liable for criminal activity, but they also voted to allow woeful negligence in every aspect of healthcare if it has anything to do with COVID. They, they grant an exemption for negligence across the board. And here's what else is happening, Daniel. And, uh, this is more anecdotal. I don't know of a specific case I can tell you, but um, the attorney told me this is starting to happen in nursing homes. They're starting to claim PrEP Act coverage for things that have nothing to do with COVID. For instance, and I'm, and I'm, this is not a specific case. I'm giving you sort of a hypothetical. Uh, a resident of a nursing home is, uh, is walking in the hallway, slips on water, falls and breaks her hip. The nursing home claims PrEP Act because they were busy in another room giving vaccines and couldn't get to the water that was on the floor. These are, and now, that's hard to imagine, but if you know attorneys, this is what they're going to do, and there are some judges crazy enough yeah. to, to go for that. And, and, just, and it's not that hard because COVID was all-encompassing. I mean, we saw that. Everything was COVID, even when it wasn't. Well, so 
this yeah this, it's going to be abused and this this gets to another point which i know you've made before there's a perverse incentive a moral hazard that exists for hospitals and nursing homes to claim and and even undertakers uh, to claim that the person w- was injured or died of covid when in fact that might have not been the cause because there's a monetary reward right they they get a certain amount of money if it's a covid case that they were taking care of but what people don't realize is the thing that motivates business as much as profit is the uh their aversion to lawsuits and they want safety and certainty so if they can put if they can sort of i hate to say it this way but put a nail another nail in the coffin and say oh this one died of covid now they're covered from lawsuits it's not just the you know 10 20 dollars that they got by calling it covid now they've also insulated themselves from liability because of the oh, prep boy. act. That's why you get and I this didn't occur to me until the last I've few heard months. horror stories, horror stories from that. I mean, we we had a situation with a friend that there was a woman who recovering from pneumonia and it was not covid related. She was 95. And they said, "Hey, you're up for a booster for covid." <laughs> And gave her the shot, and she got a stroke the next day. Now, you know, aside from the fact that this thing is a is is so dangerous, it's not even funny what we're finding out about it. The 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 shocking degree of injury is just it's something that philosophically and theologically, I I am having a hard time wrapping my arms around. But well, let, even let if me, it would be a safe shot, like generally a safe shot, yeah. Th- that is malpractice. Like, who does that? A ninety-five-year-old recovering from pneomonia that you sit and inject right. whatever—it it j- just doesn't make any sense. It's this mass psychosis formation that has taken over um, healthcare. But you're—but in what you're saying is that is totally exempt from MedMal. Let me tell you what else is exempt: the lack of providing care. For instance, uh, my brother got was sick, and he goes to the ho- to the doctor. And they say, oh, you have COVID. We can't do anything for you. They send him home. He And he's younger than me. He's not 50 yet. Okay, He's not in a particularly high-risk category. And um, he goes home, and he's sick, and he's sick, and he's sick, and he gets sicker. And it's like a week later, uh, 10 days later, he goes into the emergency room. And guess what? He's got bacterial pneumonia. Like, they didn't treat him because they said he had COVID. And then, of course, they accept him in the emergency room and they give him an IV of some really strong antibiotic. And they're obviously able to, well, they were able to save him. But think about that. That is another example of something that would have been covered by the PrEP Act, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. There would be no recourse. And by the way, I'm not particularly litigious and I'm not encouraging people to be litigious, but you have to have you have to even the score you have to even the score like my whole life um med mail was one of my big issues i i hated that um the the ambulance chasers we always would say taxation litigation regulation subsidization you know those are the four evil i get that but here it's our only recourse they they you want to have a free market that's fine but they fund it market distribute mandate then work together with pharma right. and big tech to kick me off of Twitter and anyone else, like anyone else who was doing what I was doing is gone. I don't know how you're still there, um, but you know, your days are numbered. But and my days yeah, so, so that's our only recourse for discovery. Here's what I do, Daniel. I picked up this survival mechanism a couple years ago. If it's particularly uh, dangerous in terms of truthful, and would get me kicked off Twitter because it goes against the pharma government narrative. I ask it as a question, <laughs> like it's sort of a rhetorical question, but I ask it as a question. And that's, I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene got kept, kicked off for retweeting one of my tweets. Uh, <laughs> but oh, I somehow managed to not get kicked off. It would, it would, I think, accrue. To my credit, if I did, as it has for you, I mean, you 
spoke too much truth and that's why you got kicked off. But I have recordings of conversations with the CDC when they were lying. I, I was one of the first to advertise the fact that, and, and have been persistent in this, that they've redefined the word vaccination. Um, and, uh, we'll see. I don't know. I'm like you, I don't know how I'm still on there. So so let's get to the political aspect of this, because this is what bothers me. So obviously the Democrats voted against is fine, but the presumption is that Republicans are going to take back the House. The question is just by how much, but they're going to take it back. Okay. so I am not seeing this as a rallying cry to redress any of this martial law, whether it's the emergency powers, the 86 Act, the PREP Act. Pfizer, I, I played a clip a couple minutes ago from Australia that even there, they're starting to reimburse people for injury, which the government's responsible for if they're going to do this. They're going to fund it and force it on people and then absolve the liability. I'm not seeing this anywhere. I mean, what what, do you, what are the prospects for getting this as part of the top agenda items in that first 100 days? And by the way, employers who force this on on their employees as a condition of employment should be liable for it. I mean, if you go to work, workplace injury. Says, yeah, the boss says here, you know, do pour this in your body, and something bad happens to your body, then you, your boss should be liable for that. Again, I'm not particularly litigious and not encouraging that, but uh, what is the recourse? Well, there are going to be a lot of excuses when we get the majority. <laughs> I can, I can imagine them already because I was in Congress when. Uh, when Barack Obama was president and John Boehner was speaker, and there was an excuse for everything, our our recourse. So people will say, "Well, Congressman Massey, you're expect you're setting people's expectations way too high. You guys can pass all the bills you want, but the but the Senate's not going to pass them, and the president, even if they, you do get the Senate, the president won't sign it." Well, guess what? There's a bill that the president since the beginning of our country has signed every year, <laughs> there's one bill that he has to sign and it always gets signed. And so that's the bill where it's yep. appropriate to, to limit this. And that is the spending bill. So don't tell me that Joe Biden's not going to sign the spending bill. He, I, I'm going to tell you with metaphysical certainty. And if anybody wants to take this bet, I'll take the bet. Joe Biden is going to sign the spending bill. Okay. Now, it should, if we're in the majority, it shouldn't be singular. It shouldn't be one spending bill. It should be the 12 appropriations bills, which the yep. law and the procedures of Congress call for. And if, you know, obviously, if we're not in the majority and the Democrats control the process and the rules, they can do it as one bill. But it would be sheer idiocy for us to pass an omnibus to do it as one bill and send it to Joe Biden. Because he then gets to, he gets to blame us if if he doesn't sign it, and the media yeah. will work against us. Instead, we should pass twelve separate bills. For instance, let's pass a bill that funds NASA. Okay, we're not there's nothing per, particularly. I mean, they they do go far afield from their mission, and they get into global warming. Blah blah blah. Let's just fund them. Okay, let's fund the roads. Um, what are actually roads? Not the woke, you know, green programs. Let's fund these bills separately. Send them to Joe Biden. If Joe Biden wants to shut down NASA, he can shut down NASA. If he wants to not pay for the roads, he cannot pay for the roads. Send them. I, I look at them as individual hostages. And when you put them all in a room, the, everybody's got a hostage in the room. And everybody wants the bill. But you, to but you know what's going to happen. I, I have no doubt that House Republicans probably will embark on that process. But then the Senate will balk at it, whether, whether they have you know, 51 Republicans or not, it's kind of the same thing because Dems will filibuster it. Unlike Republicans who vote for the Dem budget bills, they won't. So then you'll run up against the deadline and then and then your House leadership will say, look, we did what we can, but now we have to pass an omnibus bill and it's not going to have our priorities. It's going to continue the status quo. We need to win in 2024 and then yeah. we'll get in 2024 and they'll say, well, we need the trifecta with 60 seats, you know, I mean, we, we literally live this and we will live it again. I mean, like w one of the things that's bothering me is every Republican is united against the build back better reconciliation bill. Although 
McConnell just voted for the mini Build Back Better bill last week that, you know, gave up his leverage, but fine. But I'm not hearing any of them say, if you do that and go, you know, with reconciliation, then when it comes to the CR, when it comes to the NDEA, we're declaring war on you. We're not working with you for the rest of the session. We're not passing your bills, and and, and we're going to have an impasse until we come to an agreement on this. I'm not hearing that. Yeah, well— you know, the smallest aperture to get things through in Congress is the Senate right now. So the House, you know, we can we can fight all we want. Uh, and we, we fought pretty good on the gun control bill, the assault weapon, so-called assault weapons ban they passed. If, if not for two Republicans, I was actually shocked we only had two Republicans defect. Um, I thought there would be more, but we only had two Republicans defect. There were five Democrats who didn't vote for the assault weapons ban. And if the two Republicans hadn't voted that way, it wouldn't have passed at all. So we got close. But in the Senate, it's a narrower aperture. It's like it's it, that's where they have the opportunity to block things, particularly if. Yep. <laughs> I mean, Senate they could block down. anything yeah. except for reconciliation. They could right. block everything. And I'm just I'm not seeing this. In other words, this this business that they're in the minority is kind of a mirage because even next year, best case scenario, take back the House, narrow control of the Senate, but Dems, will, you know, even before you get to Biden, Dems will have a filibuster enabling minority, right. and they they'll certainly use it. So what are you going to do then? So they'll say, well, we can't have a government shutdown. So they're well, going to pass the budget bills without, you know, rectifying the mandates and the Pfizer funding and. Uh, build back better, you know, to repeal that green energy funding and all the bad stuff that we don't like. Um, but, but, but I know before we're at a time you you got to run to, you know, you, you know, uh, go back. But I just I just want to touch on this point. Are you concerned that House leadership will play a bifurcated game? That on the one hand, the stuff that there's more consensus, like the border. You know, that, that that finally is a little bit of consensus on. I mean, in a funny way, like, yeah, you know, the Democrats and the border, even though Republicans screwed around that for many years. But OK, so they'll I have no doubt that they'll pass some good standalone legislation, knowing it won't go anywhere in the Senate. But they'll make their stand on that. My concern is when it comes to Pfizerocracy, all that stuff, you know, you know what I mean? Like the 86 yeah. Act, the Prep Act, we won't even get a standalone bill in the house much less a commitment to fight it in the budget bill um i i have the same concern it's got the that's why one of the things we can do <laughs> is offer these things as amendments on every bill that goes through a committee that um the leadership whether it's republican or democrat they control what votes happen on the floor but they don't control it in committee now they can threaten you and they can say, we're going to kick you off this committee. If you offer that amendment, don't make us vote on that. Like, <laughs> but you know, thank goodness in the, in the judiciary committee, uh, we've not had that kind of pressure from Jim Jordan, who's a ranking member and who will be chairman. So, uh, I don't know. There, there are multiple places we can fight this. The main place I think we've got to fight it is on the appropriations bills. They need to be single issue mm. bills. Here's what HHS. Yeah. Uh, separate these bills. We've got to separate these bills. Otherwise, we'll have what what Barack Obama and and uh, John Boehner did. John Boehner would come back from wine and cigarettes at the White House and say, "This is the best we can do. This is our <laughs> omnibus. Don't make me go across the aisle to get votes. We're going to jam the Senate." Like I, these are the things you hear in the, behind closed doors. We're gonna You're giving me nightmares day. that we're headed back to that. Oh, oh my gosh, I remember those be, years. Be a team player. Uh, we're going to jam the Senate. In other words, we're going to pass this and leave town, and the Senate will have to pass our version. Well, our version sucks. What are we jamming them with? Uh, no. And then drama. they don't jam them with it anyway. Yeah, and then and then they'll say no <laughs> drama. We got to This isn't about you all. You know. We have the class of uh, 2018, the class of 2020, and now coming up, the class of 2022, who have never been yelled at for voting no because we've been in the minority. It's virtually yeah. half of Congress. They're going to hear a different story when we get in the majority. 
They're going to hear, this is our omnibus. These have your priorities in them. You can go home and campaign on this. And, uh, and so we need to get to 218. Don't make me cross the aisle and go get votes from Stenny, uh, Stenny Hoyer or Nancy Pelosi. And then they'll say, we need no drama because this is bigger than you. This isn't about you. If you really want our bills passed, we've got to win in 2024. So cool your jets. Uh, let's pass our omnibus bill oh, and man. let's get to 2024. And there, oh, will, I, there will be. Why don't things ever colleagues. change? There will be several of my colleagues seduced by that. And they'll be told, we know that your Tea Party's upset. We know that. You know, the base is riled up, but, you know, you know more than them. And this is strategy and be a team player. Oh, I, Are we going to have the same leadership? <sighs> I don't know. Look, you know, you, I, you know, you've been following me for many years. I was in all three coups against John Boehner. I was the only Republican who, who refused to vote for Paul Ryan uh, when, after Trump was elected. Do you remember right. that? He, it was going to be a unanimous vote to elect Paul Ryan as the Speaker of the House. And they go alphabetically, and they got to the M's, and a, and a guy named Massey stood up and voted against Paul Ryan. And you could, the air like, pressure dropped in the room. Everybody was you know, taking a deep breath. They couldn't believe there would be a Republican who would vote against Paul Ryan. But it was clear at the time and clear before that. It's like everybody had a temporary lobotomy that he was some raging conservative and he'd be good on the wall or other priorities like uh, abortion or, or guns when his wife was a raging liberal. Like, oh, I don't know. I, I am worried about the future when we do get the majority. But let me say this, Daniel. That's why I came on your show is to give your listeners who, who are a very sophisticated the facts they need to debate when this comes up. You'll even have Fox yes. News celebrities saying, oh, we can't have a shutdown. Republicans will get blamed and they won't win in 2024. No, pass separate spending bills so that at, on any given vote or any given veto, there's only one twelfth of the government uh, in jeopardy of not getting funded. And so that even the people in purple districts can, can win their reelection by messaging on that. So when you get to like an HHS labor appropriations, that's when we could really start going after the FDA and NIH and CDC on on the mandates, on the emergency stuff, the PrEP Act, you know, the Pfizerocracy stuff. And it won't be together in the same budget bills as the military and DHS right. for whatever that's good right. they are these days. Um, and And yeah, I mean, that's what it's about. So we're going to count on you. We do have some you know, more fighters. Hopefully we'll get some, some more, uh, this election. And it's, it's a small minority that's going to have to make noise and we're going to have to augment that from the outside. We could always count on you. Don't ever leave us except if you're going to run for governor one day. Um, but, uh, thanks for joining us as always. Take care. Thanks for having me on. I am running again, so I will be a part of whatever this is for the next two years. And, uh, the, the main thing I can do is make them vote on things call the question, offer amendments, and get the and get the truth out so that your listeners, if they keep listening to you, especially when we get the majority, they'll be informed and know how to win these debates. Knowledge is power. Vote and a voice. Vote and a voice. That's where it is. Thanks so much, Congressman Massey. So again, folks, that was Congressman Thomas Massey, the one and only Liberty variant in Congress. And they really don't make people that smart principled, dedicated, fearless as as he is. You know, I I could do a show with him every day. Um, it's just music to my ears. He will always be fighting, like you saw in committee, to find clever ways to embarrass these people, to force the issue. But there's one thing he mentioned that I find very disturbing. And it's disturbing because I know it's true. And that is the fact that the voters really aren't on to COVID fascism. They're not connecting the dots because we don't have a party that connects the dots for them. Remember, politics is downstream from culture, but it's also the other way around. Culture is also uh, downstream from politics if because politics has become culture in many ways. It's taken over our lives. So when you have both parties framing the debate around inflation, everyone will talk about inflation. Now, inflation is a big problem. 
But it's it's a result of this, and it's not just, oh, there's Democrats, recession, melees, economic woes, and inflation. No, it's a fundamental transformation, great reset, transhumanism. And COVID fascism was the opening salvo in that, and there's more coming. And they've refused to make that case to the people. So to your average person at the end of the day, most people aren't in the military. So they're not affected by it. At this point, most people could go around, don't have to wear a mask, don't have to get a jab, whether they got the jab or not and were forced to, that's kind of water under the bridge. Tons of people have been injured by the shot. But at the end of the day, in terms of the electorate, you know, it's not 50%. Like I've said before, 1%, 2% is a holocaust because it's out of 250 million people. But, you know, it's... uh. It's still a smaller percent. Most people are like, okay, we're done with it. Even though, ironically, they're already on to the next emergency declaration with the PrEP Act in place, with the mass vaccination in place, with um, the emergency powers in place. It's not even like we have to speculate, well, maybe this will happen again. This is from Newsweek. Um, Where is this? Fauci says monkeypox poses profound risk to children and pregnant women. So he's already starting on this. Top U.S. infectious disease official Dr. Anthony Fauci said monkeypox poses a profound risk to groups including pregnant women and children, despite most cases so far being among men who have uh, intercourse with men. Yeah, no no, no kidding. Um, and he's basically starting the panic porn. And then once we head into the fall, how do you know they won't step up their game and then step it up with the flu and start mandating the flu shot? And then they have the RSV shot coming out. This is not over with, but I do understand that the public doesn't see this. Candidates who run for office tell me when they do door knocking, it's just not at the tip of the tongue of of voters. And that's the problem because it's being kept from them. It's a reflection of the contours of debate between Republicans and Democrats. That's what people will care about. And that's why I always say the conservative movement and Republican politicians are so subversive because they misdirect and deflect the attention of voters who naturally are upset about what the Democrats are doing to the wrong issue at the wrong time. This is a big problem. A very, very big problem. It just shocks me how, you know, you say, okay, COVID was an aberration. It was terrible, but we're done with it. But now they're already on to the next one. And that's the next pandemic. As we noted, COVID fascism per se is not just about healthcare and pandemics. It's about a controlled demolition and the final frontier to controlling your life, body, soul, and everything. So the food, energy, that's all part of it. That's all part of it. It's not just, oh, the Democrats are causing inflation. No, inflation is one of the many symptoms of the Great Reset. And part of fighting that is not like economic measures to so-called combat inflation, whatever that even means, and Republicans will never do what it takes, which is cut spending. They'll only increase spending. But it's about things like repealing the PREP Act. The things that give them dominion on us. And this is a good segue into tomorrow. We're going to have a special guest on from the Rutherford Institute, John Whitehead, about privacy. The biggest threats to our privacy from the surveillance state. Because they can't control us, control us if they can't monitor and surveil us. And that's really the key of healthcare, um, fascism, the totalitarian Pfizer state, and everything else they're doing to us. We're going to talk about the the threats of of surveillance and what we can do about that. That's where this is about. It's not your traditional. Oh, the Democrats are taxing us too much. Like that's that's what John Cornyn says. That's what Mitch McConnell says. And meanwhile, they vote for all this stuff that that. Um, that greases the skids for this. But the important thing here is, as, as Congressman Massey mentioned, there's one thing that matters. Yes, it's important for Republicans to pass standalone bills in the House, to, to build momentum behind something. But ultimately, if it's an imminent important fight, you know the Senate and the White House is not going to you know, deal with it. You have to insert it in the appropriation bills. 
and the government runs on 12 appropriation bills. So typically what they say, well, you're going to have Social Security is going to shut down and the military, this and that, if you have a fight over this. All right, so you pass a defense bill, a DOD appropriate bill separate. Okay, each one, and you have a fight over that. Are they going to do it? No. But we have to take that stand. And then, of course, there's a lot we can and must do in the states, which we'll talk about at the time. But once again, my challenge to all these other people that are talking about, oh, the Democrats are going to lose. Really? I mean, what exactly are you going to accomplish? What is your strategy to make sure Republicans do anything with an impending victory in November? Because right now, if you don't change the name of the game, we will get nothing for it. But our goal should be working now to lay down that marker, draw a line in the sand, to prevent Republicans from making those same excuses. We got to stay focused. We got to stay knowledgeable about the issues that matter and the way they matter at the time they matter. That's why I need you guys to tune into CR Podcast every day. Subscribe, give us a five star rating on iTunes, and send it to everyone you know so they know about the issues that matter, but exactly how to combat it. Because remember, Republicans are very good at deflecting, oh, the Democrats, it's terrible what they're doing, and then they block every avenue we have, every point of leverage we have to actually make a difference. We cannot repeat the mistakes of last decade of GOP control, and I just, I have PTSD from that era, you know, when Congressman Massey was... Uh, rehashing all the things that Boehner and, and company said. And by the way, McCarthy was part of that whip team. He was the whip at the time. It's unbelievable how he can now become the leader. But, you know, nothing ever changes. But we are here to make that change, and we are committed for the long haul. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.